everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Dazzle Doctor. I am Misty and I'm here with Dr. Elena. Hi, Dr. Elena. Hello, Misty. And we're so glad to have you back. We hope you are enjoying our episodes. Today, we are going to do a a deeper dive into a subject we touched on earlier. We're going to talk about tethered cord. But first, I just want to check in and see how everyone's doing. Uh, you will be hearing this episode later, but we are actually recording it on Valentine's Day weekend. So, uh, Dr. Elena, how has your Valentine's weekend been? It's actually been pretty good. My husband actually works on Valentine's. So we have had to celebrate outside of the actual day. He also, his birthday is two days before Valentine's every year. So he gets kind of a double celebration. (laughs) Aha. So he gets kind of lost in the sauce. No, he gets his birthday, but then he also gets Valentine's Day. So he gets both. So he's one of those double present hoarders. I got it. Okay. He he gets both. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah. Going for it's kind of awkward because Valentine. Well, first of all, because we're still in all of the COVID situation. And I know people are starting to have COVID burnout, but uh, here we are. We're still in it. Hanging there with us. We're still there. So I know there's not probably a lot of people going out this year for Valentine's Day like we have in years past. Are you guys doing anything special going out for dinner doing cards doing gifts what are you doing we usually do cards um and this year we're gonna try to see if we can get a couple hours without children Ah, that that will be our big one but i have heard a lot of people want um trying to go on like weekend little getaways a couple people that were telling me kind of what they were planning to do and they were saying like everything is booked up like little cabins and ski lodges and all of this stuff. So I don't know if people are necessarily doing like the restaurant dinner, you know, thing, and they're turning it more into like a, let's do a weekend getaway this year. I don't know. Got it. That's what I've been hearing a lot of people doing. All right. Okay. Curious about what people out there are doing. Tell us what you did for Valentine's Day. Um, If you don't have Valentine, tell us what you did nice for yourself. And I know a lot of people also uh, just treat themselves on Valentine's Day. Uh, Some people I know don't feel like they really need a specific day to go out there and tell people how much they love them. And I respect that as well. Uh, I do like to kind of mark the day with something kind of nice. For us this year, it was a little, well, not just because of COVID. uh, It was a little hectic because I finally got my port installed my metaport installed and uh, it's been a long time coming it's i think i've already talked about it on the show but uh it's i think over a year we've planned and worked and talked to doctors etc cetera, etc cetera, trying to get it planned and, and installed and through and all this having to go to different doctors and find somebody who was ready to manage it and it's been a mess but Finally got it done. So my wonderful husband has been doing the cooking and the cleaning, and he's so good about all that all the other times. So he's been my my big time Valentine. And um, my best friend took me to get me a lot of the tests, and she helps me with my 
doctor running around uh, all the time anyway. So thanks so much, Erica, my Valentine. Love you. I <laughs> uh, loved both of my Valentines. So we actually just had kind of a quiet weekend in. We did cards and we did DoorDash. Um, we had a nice DoorDash delivery of dinner in and just kind of had quiet time together. So oh, it was very nice. Uh, I had a big nap, which was uh, delightful and um, hot tea and just kind of healing and it was quiet and nice. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. That's, that Nothing sounds wrong with that at all. Perfect. Yep. I'll tell you when, you know, back, whatever, however long, back in the good old days when everybody was going outside, we would go out a lot. And I have been to, you know, concert upon concert, like sometimes two or three in a weekend and with POTS and Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome energy can, or what we call spoons, units of energy, spoons can be a big problem for people with chronic illness in general. And certainly it is for me. So I would have told you back then what I wouldn't give for a night at home. And now we have so many of those. And um, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not mad about it. Right. (laughs) I'm kind of enjoying my time in my house. I feel better rested. And um, I don't know, I still don't feel like I ever have enough spoons to get through a day. But I feel less, I don't know, less strung out and overwhelmed and like I'm burning the candle at both ends because I, I do actually feel like I'm getting more rest now. Um, now it's just a matter of figuring out how to get the exercise in. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I feel like um, I don't have the spoon aspect of energy and things like that. I mean, we all, we all do. Sure, of course. But you know, not having Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, my energy is not as taxed um, with just function and healing and doing those things. But I will concur on the loving being home. I think it's more the the anxiety and social pressure of being social. And for me, also running my kids everywhere and making sure they're engaged in all of these activities and development and happiness and things, you know, for them. Um, so not only being social for myself, but social for my kids was exhausting. And um, definitely this past year has allowed me to shift my priorities on where my time gets spent, um, allowed me to take a step back. And even when this pandemic is over, um, which is hopefully soon, my choices on how I spend my time are going to be impacted long term based off of the choices that I've had to make in response to the pandemic. So I think it's, you know, people realizing how, what what did I see? I saw somebody that said like realizing how little we actually need and focusing on what is what we already have and, and prioritizing the things that we have available to us, our family, our home, and not worried about doing and, you know, constantly acquiring and, you know, all of these things. Um, I think it's, it's been interesting. I don't know if anybody else has taken that social lesson or not, but I know I have. So yeah, kind of, um, not seeking so much of our happiness outside of the home, I guess, maybe, mm-hmm. and seeking more of it inside of the home with our family and our, I mean, for me, pets and 
friends and just loved ones in general and significant others, um, partners. And I, I know there's also to, you know, to, to present the other side of the coin, there's also a lot of people who are like, yeah, well, I enjoy my home, but I also don't like being, feeling stuck in it. Yeah. And, and I can certainly appreciate that side of things. And there are definitely times when I find myself going, Oh, um, wish I could go to a movie or wish I could you know, do this or that. Right. There are things certainly that I miss, but I, I don't know when Friday night rolls around and I don't have plans right now. I just don't feel that I, I almost would call it weekend guilt mm -hmm. or just feeling like I should have plans for the weekend. And right now there's just no pressure to have plans for the weekend, which I love. Right. I, I just love being able to say, no, I don't have any plans for the weekend. And no, I don't want to make any plans for the weekend. I like it just the way it is plan free and put loose and plan free. I love it. Right. And I'll just touch on that. You know, fortunately, I have not had the experience of feeling like I'm stuck in my home with not the option of going out. I know that a lot of people have been feeling that. And we've seen a higher rate of depression and anxiety and things like that. And as a result of it, I fortunately have a essential worker job. So I've been at least able to go out and using precaution and things like that, still being able to interact with people. So just a social disclaimer and tidbit, like if you are feeling like that, please reach out to communities, even if it's socially, virtually through Facebook or whatever social group that you can get in touch with. Because if you feel like you're missing out on that, please don't try to shoulder that yourself. I just... That's a very sensitive topic to my heart. Um, I don't want anybody to feel like they are totally alone. So please feel free to reach out to us, to reach out to your community, whatever way you need to. And I know, you know, the, the big marketing campaign is like, we're not... No one's in this alone. But I also have seen that, you know, nobody's in the same boat. Like some people have yachts yeah. and some people have dinghies. And so, yeah. you know, so yes, we're all in the same ocean, so to speak, but we're not experiencing this the same way from very different levels. So, but don't feel like you have to be alone. There, There's support out there for you and in any way. So I know that's a little bit of a side note off topic no, kind of thing, but it's a it's very not off topic. It's not off topic. It's uh, I mean, I, I do battle, um, you know, depression and anxiety just on an average everyday basis due to thanks, you know, thanks in part, at least to the health situation that I go through. And I, I have heard a lot about COVID burnout. I've experienced it I'm, right now. I'm not in that situation, but I have been, and I do agree with you that, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to be in the situation that I'm in right now. If I were in a different situation or certain situations, you know, that perhaps I have been in the past or that other people might be in right now, maybe home is not a comfortable place for you. You're not happy in your home. You're, it's not an inviting environment for you. You don't have a support system there in those kinds of situations where it's not a safe place for you to be or a happy place for you to be, definitely reach out to those, to those resources. Uh, we will have, there is a, um, the suicide prevention hotline is one that leaps to mind for me. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've noticed that they've done in, in just the past couple of years 
is, you know, sometimes we don't like to talk to each other via telephone. I, for one, am just not a big telephone person. I, I don't know. Me neither. Really, yeah, I've never really cared much for the phone. I have to use it because my family is spread out far and wide. But um, now we've moved on to, you know, video calls, texting, chat, and mm-hmm. the the suicide prevention hotline has moved along with those times, which I think is a great idea. They do have options now to chat. They have options uh, to email and options to text. Mm-hmm. So we'll make sure that we get those numbers for you in our notes. And I encourage you, if you are in a situation, even if even if suicide is not the thing that has been on your mind, but you feel unsafe or unhappy in those ways and you are feeling different than you normally would, I still encourage you to call and find out what resources are available to you. Um, they're, they're certainly on the lookout for things like COVID burnout at, at these times. So mm-hmm. um, I know that that sounds like kind of a downer, um, but I think it's also necessary, especially at a time like this. Yeah. So I want uh, to bring us around to our topic today. We're going to talk today about tethered cord syndrome. And I got to be honest with you, Dr. Elena, it's not something out of all of the abundance of problems that I have, or if we want to say comorbidities Mm -hmm. that I have that go along with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. This is not one that I experience. So I'm not as familiar with it as I know you are and as our listeners must be because we actually received a request to go over this topic. I do know, well, at least I think I know, you're the doctor, but (laughs) I I know that tethered cord syndrome is not necessarily something that you must have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome in order to experience. I believe you can have tethered cord syndrome whether or not you have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So this might be something that some of our other listeners and allies and friends out there and uh, caregivers may also want to listen to from a different perspective. But um, other than that, I'm, I'm really not very familiar with it. So maybe you can start off kind of by telling us what tethered cord syndrome is mm-hmm. and how people both with and without Ehlers-Danlos syndrome sort of might experience it and, and what we might do or who we might seek out for treatment. Right. So I'll give my disclaimer before I get started is that I am a physical therapist. Uh, Tethered cord syndrome is not a condition that I directly treat. It is typically something that I have to be considerate of in terms of treating somebody with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome or post-tethered cord release or, or having tethered cord. And something that I have to be on the lookout for as necessary, but it is not something that I directly treat. That would be a neurologist or a neurosurgeon of some fashion to be able to look at it because it is a neurological problem. And I will also give my other disclaimer of everything that I'll be going over today is a very generalized overview of this topic. It is not the deep dive on research and things like that. We can certainly go into that if that interest is out there. This is kind of to give an overview of what it is, how do we treat it, what do we look for, so then that way you kind of have it on your radar uh, moving forward. Okay, so that being said, I'm going to read off the definition that of tethered cord syndrome that is on the NIH website, just so that way you have an idea of exactly what it is. The definition is... Tethered spinal cord syndrome is a neurological disorder caused by tissue attachments 
that limit the movement of the spinal cord within the spinal column. Attachments may occur congenitally at the base of the spinal cord, or they may develop near the site of an injury to the spinal cord. These attachments cause an abnormal stretching of the spinal cord. This course of the disorder is progressive. So that being said, that's just part of the definition. So just to kind of decipher what that just said. (laughs) Basically, your spinal cord sits in your spinal column. So your spine, the structural bones, your vertebrae create a hard barrier around your spinal column that goes through the vertebrae. And it goes from the top, starts at the base of the skull, all the way down to your tailbone, basically. And what that's saying is that at some point along that column, it gets scarred down, it gets stuck. And it doesn't allow for when you bend forward, your spinal cord is supposed to glide within your vertebrae to allow for movement. But when it's stuck in a spot, it pulls on it and it creates tension of your spinal cord. And then that creates symptoms. So it can happen because of trauma. It can also happen as a result of the way people are developed within the womb. This is not unique to Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. It is something that can happen without Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. However, one of the pieces that I found brushing up on the variations of tethered cord as it relates to Ehlers-Danlos is that I did find that in Ehlers-Danlos, there is a high prevalence of thickening at the spot at the base of the spine where tethered cord is predominant. And it is one thing in Ehlers-Danlos that doesn't seem to stretch when it does present itself. The high correlation of having tethered cord with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome is related to this excess buildup of tissue at the base of the spine. And sometimes it doesn't present itself until it's forced. So I've had a patient who had a cervical fusion, which created stretching and the neck and structural stability of her neck. But what happened is as they stretched the neck at the top, the bottom was being pulled and it wasn't aware that there was a tethered cord happening at the bottom. So when they did that, then she started having symptoms of tethered cord syndrome and then had to get a procedure to release that restriction to minimize those symptoms presenting from the tethered cord piece. And so thank you, Dr. Elena. That's that's helpful for me to understand. Let me just, let me see if I can sort of repeat back to you what I think I heard. So I think I'm hearing that when the spinal cord does not move freely inside the spinal column due to the attachment to the, I think you're saying to the tailbone? It can be at any point along the spinal cord predominantly happens at the base near the tailbone. So it's actually okay. it's actually in the lower spine is where it typically happens the most before it gets to your butt bone. Because um, our spinal cord material ends and then it can the nerves continue down a little bit farther before it terminates, I guess would be the right word. So it can happen around that area. 
Okay. So that makes but sense. it can also it can also happen at any point, like if there's an injury to the spinal cord, there can be created scar tissue around that area of injury can also create a binding of the spinal cord. Okay, so you could potentially then be born without tethered cord, have an injury, and then develop a tethered cord mm-hmm. somewhere. And really, it could happen anywhere along the spinal column that was where there was a traumatic injury. But most likely, we would see it around the base of the of the spinal column because that's typically where these kinds of injuries tend to take place. Is that accurate? I wouldn't say that the the injuries tend to take place there. I would say that congenitally in development, that's where it predominantly happens because of the way that the spine develops when babies are developing in the womb. So it typically happens when it's developmental at at the base of the spine. And Again, from what I've seen is that with Ehlers-Danlos, there's an there's a thickening in that area. So as you grow or as your body, you know, and again, that the base of your spine is where the brunt of your body is being held. So, you know, it, gravity is pushing down on the spine. The base of the spine takes the, the brunt of the work. So there's more likely to be more shearing and friction and irritation at the base of the spine. So it can create more of a opportunity for it to develop, especially in Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, when you have the thickening and you have instability that typically happens in that area and your body's trying to scar it down to hold it into place. That makes sense. So compression of the spine mm-hmm. and and then um, in Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, we people with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome who are fighting to keep our frame stable. Mm-hmm then we would have more of that shifting and movement that could build up that thickening tissue. Does that, is that, does that make sense? Okay. And then I'm hearing you talking about the release of a tethered cord. Is that generally a surgical kind of process or is that a massage type? I'm just unfamiliar. Is that a physical therapy thing? So it's, it's a surgical thing because the problem is, is that it's within the spinal column. So we can't touch it. We can't like feel it. It's different than having a myofascial restriction um, where, where your muscles are spasmed or things like that. And we can touch on the outside and feel those restrictions. This restriction is embedded within a bone because the vertebrae is surrounding your spinal cord. And so then it's stuck on the inside of that bone. So it's not like for me, if I was manually trying to release something, I can't push past the bone to try to release that restriction. So it's, it's a surgical release that needs to happen to, to alleviate the, the symptoms. And typically the symptoms, and let me go over what the symptoms could look like. Um, sure. So in children, and this is back to the NIH definition, they have this listed in there um, on their website as well, is that in children, symptoms may include lesions, hairy patches, dimples or fatty tumors on the lower back, foot and spinal deformities, weakness in the legs, low back pain, scoliosis, and incontinence. Now, granted, just because you have those things does not necessarily definitively mean that you have tethered cord. Typically, the lesions, hairy patches, dimples, and fatty tumors on the lower back 
does indicate a little bit more specifically that there could be a restriction happening of the spinal cord. Weakness in the legs, low back pain, scoliosis typically is not exclusive to tethered cord. So it also says that tethered cord syndrome may go undiagnosed until adulthood when pain, sensory and motor problems and loss of bowel and bladder control emerge. This delayed presentation of symptoms is related to the degree of strain placed on the spinal cord over time and may be exacerbated during sports, pregnancy, or maybe due to the narrowing of the spinal column from stenosis, which we, which is kind of what I talked about with, you know, the lower back kind of getting the brunt of, of the, of the work holding your body up against gravity. Tethering may also develop during, after a spinal cord injury, um, and scar tissue can block the flow of fluids around the spinal cord, which is we, talked about as well. You know, the symptoms don't necessarily change. You still have low back pain. You'll still have these things, but the, the big red flags would be loss of bowel and bladder control, significant change in sensory, um, and how you perceive sensation. Um, you know, numbness, tingling. If you feel somebody brushes up against you and it feels more like sharp pains and things like that. So changes in how you feel things typically are related to something neurological, whether or not that leads down the path of a tethered cord syndrome, not definitive. But again, we're just trying to put this on the radar. So in that way, if a combination of these symptoms present themselves, then you might have a a path to start down. Okay. Thanks, Dr. Elena. Okay. So if our listeners are experiencing symptoms like Dr. Elena, like you just described, they would go, I assume, probably they should check in with a doctor, They're either their family doctor, talk about who they should see next steps, or depending on you know what their situation is, what country they're in, what kind of insurance situation they're in, if they can go to a neurologist and talk that through, especially if they're looking at sensational changes um, or sensation changes, I should say, not sensational. Those, <laughs> those changes are just sensational. Um, sensation changes. I would think a neurologist, if you can go to one without referrals, those kinds of things, that would be a great first step. Right. And I think that based off our last podcast in terms of developing your treatment team, yep. a neurologist is definitely somebody you want to have in your wheelhouse anyway. So hopefully that process has already started and you have access to somebody that you can talk to about it. But definitely start with your go-to person. Start with your primary care to be able to have the conversation of, hey, these symptoms are changing or this has been presented to me because I've something happened. You know, what do I do? And hopefully those people will say, all right, let's get you to the neurologist because those are definitely neurological symptoms. And they may order like an MRI to start. They may order imaging to get the ball rolling if they can but definitely get to a neurologist. Okay, so here are some questions that I would I have um, for myself and that perhaps our listeners might have as well. So for me, from the perspective of not having had these, uh, some, some of the symptoms that you've mentioned ring true for me, but I don't think they ring true to the degree that they would if I were to have, say, tethered cord, for example. So then that leads me to wonder, what can I do or is there anything I can do to try to prevent that from becoming a reality for me? So one of the things that I do with patients that I see post-tethered cord syndrome, because I want to make sure that they don't scar down and create 
the same symptoms again. From the PT perspective, I work on what I call neural glides, which essentially is a way to, I always, I always equate it to like dental floss. I, you know, dental floss moving through the tissues, you got one end because everything's attached to something else. So you're kind of figuring out how to position your body and, and move the, the nerves through tissues to make sure that nothing is binding down on it. Um, so neural glides, flexibility, moving your spine, trying to make sure that things are gliding within that spinal column because you don't want any type of restriction because of joint issues to create an opportunity for scarring to happen. So that's one thing. So just being able to kind of, and most EDS people can touch their hands to the floor. I can't, but in terms of just generalized movement, like that forward flexion of being able to bend your spine forward will allow for things to glide and not necessarily as a stretch, but just bending down and coming back up, being able to glide it more than a stretch because we're not trying to stretch. Another type of treatment that in my experience, I have seen be effective and work for what it is. I also know that there are other therapists that can find it to be a little bit lackluster because it, it doesn't seem like you're doing very much mechanically. But craniosacral therapy works really well. Make sure that you know your your spinal fluid is flowing. Um, and this is not one of my specialties, so I'm not going to claim to know everything about craniosacral therapy. Um, I know it exists. I've seen it happen. Like I've seen it in play and I've seen the effects of it, but basically making sure that the fluid around the spinal cord is still flowing freely. And again, that would be something else that we want to make sure is, is happening as you're healing from a release making sure that everything is rebuilding itself in the right way. So giving it the right input and the right ways of stimulating the right processes is kind of what, what I would recommend. So the Craniosacral therapy, you know, just general flexibility, but with nerve gliding, not stretching, would allow for the spinal cord and nerves that are attached to move freely uh, without being compressed. So I have a question for you, uh, or rather, I, I want you to go into talking to our audience a little bit about why you, you mentioned not stretching. And you and I have talked about this a lot. You talked to me a lot about not stretching. And I, I'd like for you to talk to our audience about why you are not as enthused <laughs> about people with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome stretching ourselves. I'll throw myself in this basket as well to greater degrees or you know the question that I'm asking. Yes, I do, actually. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to work harder at rephrasing it because you understand what I'm asking. So I'm yes. going to turn it over to you to to answer and maybe even ask. Yes. <laughs> so the reason that I expressed caution to my EDS patients on generalized stretching is because you can stretch. <laughs> But you can stretch anywhere. So when you have a restriction or if there's a myofascial tightness binding something down or particular muscle feels tight, when you stretch it, you know, it, it's supposed to increase the flexibility of a muscle. However, in EDS, 
typically you don't get enough leverage to actually get a stretch out of it in the right way because your joints, your tendons and everything will stretch along with it. So you'll stretch everything that doesn't need to be stretched because it already can move. So the spot that needs to be focused on gets skipped because it's like, oh, well, you still want me to go that way? That's fine. I'll just pull from all these other places and just totally skip over the spot that's actually restricted. And because you can move so much more, there's only so far that your body can mechanically go before you hit a barrier where you're just like, okay, my head does not do a 360 to be able to actually stretch the muscle that I need to stretch. Are you sure? Have you suggested that? Position my might. I think it could. Let's not. <laughs> That's one of the reasons. The other thing is, is that typically for Ehlers-Danlos patients and typically anybody with hypermobility in general, when you feel a tightness or stiffness or a muscle feeling like it just doesn't want to let go, most of the time it's because it doesn't want to. And, and there's a reason for it. It's that it's holding you together. It's activated. It's not that it's not stretchy or flexible. So people fight this tug of war game against themselves because their muscle is saying, no, I need to hold tight because if I don't, something's going to fall apart and go very, very wrong. And you're like, but you feel tight. So I'm going to make you go this way. Uh (laughs) And it doesn't, it doesn't work. And everybody just gets frustrated because it never alleviates the tightness. And it's because it's more of a motor activation pattern issue of something is turned on and activated when it doesn't know how to turn off or in prevention of having something else fall apart. So I see this a lot with the muscles on the inside of thighs. They are constantly turned on. And so when you try to, I guess this is more for me, try to do the splits or try to do something and your muscles are just saying, "Uh uh-uh, I can't go that far. It's because they're also probably trying to hold my pelvis together to (laughs) boom. So then that way things don't go out of alignment. And I see this with a lot of hamstrings. I see this with a lot of quads because it's trying to help hold your hips or your knees or it's activating in a way that it's not designed to. And it's just like, I'm just going to hold on for dear life just so something doesn't slip out. And that's why I, that's a really long answer for why <laughs> I know, but it's, I'm not a big person to advocate generalized stretching. Guided stretching, sure. If you have somebody who's skilled that can actually see where you're tight and make sure to give you direction and how to position to effectively stretch a muscle when needed, all for it. I usually tend more on the side of there's a motor activation pattern and I need to make sure I turn on the muscles that it's compensating for in the right way. So then that way it can stop compensating. And then that's when we get the relaxation that we're looking for. Yeah. I know um, from several of our sessions together, I've come in and Dr. Elena and I talk about this a lot in my, my no muscles. So so for our audience out there, especially the women, um, we have this, I have bought into this um, slightly off color, shall we say? Sure. Way of referring to thigh muscles. The ones that are my no muscles are the ones that clamp my knees together. So uh, I go in and tell Dr. Elena a lot, the hip adductors, right? Is that right? Mm-hmm. 
doctors, right? I go in and tell her my no muscles are killing me. And they always are because they are holding my body up. And it's pretty clear, at least to me, and I think probably to anyone who studies body structure, when I stand that I use my inner thigh muscles a lot to for stabilization. And they do, they're, they're definitely taught a lot because they are holding up the rest of this body. And I do feel like if they relax or let go, something's going to give. And I know there are a lot of times I come into you and I say, my, my no muscles are tight and they're hurting. And you say, where here? And you'll go to a completely opposite or like completely different <laughs> part of my body, stick your thumb in it and go, is that, does this hurt? And I'll, and I know I can look at you and go, which woman get your hand off of me. I, I can't believe how fast you are at being able to just stick your thumb directly in the part that hurts. And I, you know, hearing you speak about why stretching is not necessarily the right answer all the time, especially just generalized stretching for me to say, go home and do the butterfly that many of our Ehlers-Danlos listeners out there will be able to do, sticking the soles of your feet together and putting your knees on the floor and then moving your heels back to your groin, that stretch that a lot of us can do pretty easily. It's not necessarily the right answer. It's, it's the thing that I always want to do. But when I go see Dr. Elena and I tell her that I'm having that pain and she goes and sticks her thumb right in the source of it. And then she can manipulate my, you know, say like my, I don't even know what bone are you manipulating when you do that? So usually, and it's funny because I usually, I think I rarely actually directly treat your hip adductors when you say that they're hurting no, you. Never I, I don't think I actually do anything directly to them. You don't. So you for a lovely <laughs> I get that. I always get something that's agonizing and then feels better later. Yeah. So usually what I do is um, usually it's related to your hips or your pelvis that essentially those hip adductors are working overtime to help hold it all together. And they're just not designed to do that by activating your hip rotators and make sure that certain things are aligned the right way. By doing that, that then allows for those hip adductors to relax and then you don't feel them there. So that's right. And I'm I'm always amazed because I go in and I'm like, I know it's my hip adductors. I, in fact, this shows, I've always thought of myself as pretty up on anatomy and physiology, but there was a period of time that I thought I had tendons in my hip adductors because they were so taught that I thought there must be some kind of like gristle in there doing something. And I've learned since then, nope, that was just muscle that never, ever let go for like, I don't know, decades. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was very bad. And all it took was to get the, I, the joints, I guess, in the right position. And then finally my hip adductors were, they just said, ah, phew. Okay. Now we can trust the pelvis and the legs and the core to, to lift themselves up and hold themselves up. And they still, it still has to be adjusted regularly, but I was quite amazed that it didn't take stretching at all Mm -hmm. to make that problem go away. What it really needed was skeletal manipulation. That's Mm -hmm. what had to happen to make it go away. And And muscle activation of the counter pieces of your muscles to to turn on for what wasn't working. And that, (laughs) she said, yes, and that. It, it honestly, though, it was amazing to me. I, I just, I thought for sure, you know, I, I had those 
um, muscle rollers. And I, I like the muscle rollers. I do think they help, but nothing's worked as well as fixing the problem, right? Mm -hmm. So they're, they're compensating for a problem and we had to go fix the problem. And then they, then they relaxed and they finally decided to go off duty for a bit. And it's, so to circle back to our discussion on tethered cord, because some, some of the symptoms are leg weakness, back pain, and things like that, people will chase those symptoms. They'll chase oh, my, my legs are weak. Well, if I just work out a bazillion hours a day and try to strengthen them, they'll get better. And I mean, we've already had the conversation of my philosophy on exercise with EDS anyway, but you don't see a result. So then you're just chasing the symptom or your back is hurting and you're trying to directly treat back pain with therapy and muscle releases, massages, you know, whatever medicine, medicine and it doesn't seem to work, that's when treating the actual source of the problem is super important because if you just chase symptoms, you're never going to get anywhere. So if you experience any of those things where it's like significant leg weakness or the severe low back pain and things like that, and you've been treating the symptom of it, that's when you need to look into to other options. And tether cord would be one of those many options that could be related, but it's just to kind of circle back on that because I feel, I feel like a lot of people, they end up chasing the symptoms and they're like, well, I have knee pain and I'll go to therapy and I'll do what I'm told and my knee pain gets better. But then, and I get discharged from therapy and then two months later, I'm back into having knee pain again. Well, that to me says, okay, well, the knee pain's not the problem. It's a symptom of the problem. So you have to peel back the layers to figure out how is your body functioning to create this stress on the knee that may be the actual origin of the problem versus just the knee problem. Unless there's something like structurally going on, like a meniscus tear or something crazy happening at the knee that's causing recurring pain. But if there's not, that's when you got to peel back those layers and figure out what the actual origin of the, of the problem is, not just the symptom. That makes a lot of sense. I think this is one of the reasons that I really appreciate your more holistic philosophy of treatment and your philosophy is really the way that I'm going to put it of looking at the entire body instead of the way that I've always um, been approached from a physical therapy standpoint, which is to say, oh, you have a shoulder problem. Let's treat your shoulder. You have a neck problem. Let's treat your neck. You have an ankle problem. Let's treat your ankle. And rather than taking a look at me as an entire skeletal, muscular, fascia connected person or not connected as the case may be, but person, and then trying to figure out how all of these systems are interplaying and then looking at the knee, so to speak, Mm. if if we're going to talk about knees, but the knee for me, at least, like you said, unless there's an actual injury to my knee, the knee rarely is the problem in and of itself. Mm -hmm. It's usually my hamstring or my quad or something that's causing the knee to be out of joint or have a problem. And I can imagine with something like tethered cord, where you're not getting a full range of motion out of your spinal cord, um, that it does end up pulling on other 
other uh, joints and other other muscles. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. You can tell me if I'm right or wrong here, but I can imagine it would end up causing you a whole other a myriad of other symptoms and problems. And I can see where it would be extremely frustrating if you then chase your symptom. For example, if you are trying to strengthen your legs because they're weak and you push and push and push and you do everything that you can to try to build up those muscles and it's just not happening because again, you're not unbeknownst to yourself. You're not moving after the right issue. Right. And you're just not getting anywhere with it. It become it can be, become very frustrating and upsetting. And I can imagine you would just throw your hands up and walk away. Right. So and the other thing is um, with, with tethered cord is that it's a, it, it's twofold. So like kind of said, like, you know, your spine wouldn't move as well. So it's not only is it, it, well, it's a mechanical issue because something is stuck. So it will limit your mobility. And again, because if you do have a Ehlers-Danlos with tethered cord, you tend to compensate with, for that lack of movement fairly easily. But then you also have this neurological piece to it too, is that the muscles are just not getting the signal they're not getting, they're not plugged in. You know what I mean? If they're, if they're being pinched off, they're not getting the signal to actually activate because that restriction is binding down on the spinal cord in a way that just, it can't get out. You have that piece as well. It's twofold when you look at it, you know, from what would you feel perspective? Got it. Okay. Thanks. You've given me a lot to think about. Yeah. What our listeners need to know about tethered cord? Well, I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of stuff that's out there. So what I did do is that, um, on our YouTube channel, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> at dazzle doctor, I think right. is I, we started a playlist that has currently, it has two videos on tethered cord. One is like a two to three minute video. It, g- it gives a really good visual of what tethered cord actually is. And then the other one is a tethered, a doctor talking about tethered cord syndrome with EDS. The first 15 minutes of it are him kind of explaining it and kind of going through on how it affects with EDS. And then there's a question and answer part, but I thought it was a really good video. There's also a lot of other videos out there. Um, I know Dr. Petra Kling, she has a lot of videos on YouTube about tethered cord with EDS, um, and she's very involved in the EDS community. Some of her videos, the, the the sound quality wasn't great, so I just didn't feel like we would it would be harder to hear the information out of it. Um, so I was trying not to like bombard the playlist with a whole bunch of videos that were you had to kind of sift through. But if you if you look up Dr. Petra Kling, she would have a lot of information on EDS with tethered cord as well. So there's still a whole lot of information out there. Again, this is just a scratch of the surface kind of thing. And we hope we answered some questions, gave you guys some insight on what tethered cord is, what you should do about it, um, and how it affects you. And let us know if you still have any questions about it. Absolutely. Thank you. And we're going to include uh, links to the National Institutes of Health, the definition and some of their other information that Dr. Elena talked about to the suicide hotline and to our own YouTube channel. Also, we want you to come check us out on Instagram. We'll include that link. And on our Facebook page, all at Dazzle Doctor. Uh, We still haven't worked out our Twitter situation. Um, It's still in a bit of a jam. 
thanks to all of the uh, chaos and the recent chaos in the United States, but uh, we're working on it. So for now, you can find us at Instagram, you can find us at Facebook, and obviously you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And we are so grateful that you've been listening to us. We just encourage you to tell your friends and we want to hear from you. Let us know what topics you want to hear about. Um, We're happy to talk about whatever comorbidities you may have questions about. We've got some upcoming topics about caregivers. We've got upcoming topics on POTS, talking to your doctors and how you can go about talking to a doctor that maybe uh, isn't working as well for you. How do you move on from a doctor? Um, So we've got lots of exciting topics coming up. Tell us what you want to hear about and what questions you have. And we really look forward to hearing from you. We want this podcast to serve you to the best of its ability. So tell us what you want to know. Thanks so much for listening to us and have a great day. We will talk to you next time. Thanks. Yeah.